Super Talk Mississippi media production. Running a business is tough. If you're struggling with HR benefits and payroll, you're not alone. Many businesses just don't have the resources to keep up. That's where MWG Employer Services comes in. We provide a full range of employer services with everything from payroll to benefits to HR services and compliance and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. We're a Mississippi-based company that can help you focus on what you do best, growing your business. Call MWG Employer Services today at 601-206-7966 or go to MWG Employer Services You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Good Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV, coming to you as always from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, two 18-hole championship golf courses, the Oaks and the Azaleas. You can plan your trip or book your tee time online at Dancing Rabbit Golf. And to learn more about all that is happening Visit PearlRiverResort.com. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. You want to be a part of the conversation? You can join us on the Ceasefire text line. The number is 601 879 4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from Ceasefire Business. It's backed by world class IT professionals who live where you do. That's right here in Ceasefire Country. Check them out online at ceasefire.com slash business. Hope you enjoyed a, uh, a day off yesterday. I think most people had the day off. Probably some still had to work. Uh, and if you did, sorry for that. Uh, but for those of you who had the day off yesterday, hope it was a good one. Weather cooperated big time. Not too hot, but, uh, that, you know, kind of the beginning of summer. Memorial Day kind of marks that day for uh, a lot of people. For a lot of folks, it's time around the grill or at the lake or at the pool or maybe just kind of relaxing a little bit. Borky, you have a good day off yesterday? Yeah, and, and uh, I know what's coming uh, like just a, a few weeks from now, so so forgive me for jinxing it, but doesn't feel like summer yet in Mississippi. No, it does not. It, it absolutely does not. You know, I threw out my very unscientific hypothesis not too long ago that for whatever reason our seasons have shifted a month. I feel like we've had cooler springs. Uh, I feel like we've had some cooler springs, and they have lasted a little bit longer, and then we're kind of to June before it gets really hot. So, yeah, it's coming. It's going to get really hot. And then when we get to the, the to Labor Day, to the 1st of September, and it's time for the start of football, we're going to be ready for it to cool off. But it's not going to cool off. It's going to be hot yeah. for another month at, uh, at that point. So, you know, we'll just enjoy it while we've got it. It was a... Uh, uh, it was a nice day off, uh, nice long weekend. We got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Scott Berry normally joins us to uh, start the well, early in the three o'clock hour on Mondays. Hey, Dad, if you're watching on the uh, on Ceasefire TV, 
Super Talk TV. Uh, you, you, you. He's doing his facial expressions things. Something has happened with his ability to connect with us. So we'll we'll get that worked. I out, mean, I, I could shortly. reset it right now, um, but I kind of am enjoying him not know what to do. Mm-hmm. The frantic text messages, the pretending that you know he can't. Has he tried unplugging it and plugging it back in? Because that usually works. So, so it's it's actually on this end. It's so so, but it's kind of funny watching him like push buttons, and none of them are going to work. Not a single thing he's going to do over there will work. And so I'm kind of debating whether or not I should actually, you know, get up and do what I need to do to make it work. Well, probably for the I'm sake of our it. bosses, it would be a a good idea. Scott Barry will join us this afternoon on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Mississippi Farm Bureau. That's coming up about 10 minutes from right now. We'll talk with Scott about Southern Miss's draw in the NCAA tournament. The uh, Golden Eagles uh, announced as a two-seed. I know we all watched closely over the weekend. It feels like Southern Miss did what they needed to do. It feels like they did everything that they could possibly do to put themselves in position to host a regional and ultimately win their resume was stacked up against the other potential hosts, the committee decided that their resume wasn't quite good enough. John Cohen said when he uh, took some questions from the folks at ESPN yesterday, that, or maybe it was a media member who asked specifically about Southern Miss, that you know they were probably a win away from being a host. They, they finished with 41 wins. I think that championship game was their 40, 41st yeah. win. And... The RPI was good, but it was not as good as some of the teams that were picked ahead of them, especially in that 15-16 range for uh, for those last couple of spots. And this year's committee leaned heavily, heavily on the RPI in determining the 16 host sites. It's like an annual thing for them. I, you know, looking at Indiana State, I, I know that. The, the record is better, but I, I am flabbergasted that their strength of schedule is better. I mean, many, many more games uh, against RPI 100 or worse. Uh, very odd. Uh, and Cohen talked about it yesterday, you know, that the RPI formula needs to be re- reworked, which uh, there are a lot of people in college baseball fans and stuff that would welcome that. What I don't like hearing from him, though, is how th- they want to, moving forward, uh, consider geography. I can't stand that. I, I get the grow, you know, grow the game, grow the game, but you grow the game at the grassroots level first. If you're going to give host sites based on geography to places that don't care about college baseball, is that really growing the game? What will make so? What will inspire somebody to enjoy invest in college baseball? Seeing games in Columbia, South Carolina, in Fayetteville, in Baton Rouge. And sometimes in Starkville and Oxford when the teams aren't stinky like they were this year, or at UCLA, where there's 500 people there and nobody yeah. cares. You know, I, I can't stand that line of thinking, oh, well, we got to do it based on geography. No, you don't. It's a merit-based thing. Who are the 16 best teams? That's who hosts your regionals. If they're all in the Southeast, so be it. This and, is the place that cares anyway. And Borky, I think your theory is going to be tested a little bit this year, and I'm going to be really interested to see what it looks like and what it feels like, because you're going to have a regional at Wake Forest. Are they going to show up and create a really good environment? You're going to have a regional in Lexington, 
There's a story that we'll get to later today. The visiting teams for the Lexington Regional are going to have to either stay in a hotel that is an hour outside of Lexington or they are going to stay in on-campus dorms because there's some country palooza fest and you've got a bunch of state championship events that are happening for the Kentucky High School Association that are happening in Lexington and there are no hotel rooms available. So what's it going to look like at Kentucky Proud Park next weekend, this coming weekend, uh, are they going to make it look like a great regional? Because here's the example. To me, this is the one that stands out. Not not everybody has a stadium that seats 10,000 plus, right? Not, not everybody's got Duty Noble, Swayze, Baumwalker, Alec Box, etc. But East Carolina last year hosted one of, if not the coolest-looking regionals. It was absolutely electric for every game that was played involving East Carolina. It went to a Monday finish. The crowds were even good for the non-East Carolina games, though. The like, they showed were, up. Yes, yes, yes. And so, are they going to support a regional that way in Winston-Salem? Are they going to support a regional that way in Lexington? Are they going to support the regional that way in Nashville. Vanderbilt usually shows pretty well, and and they've added and added and added as best they can within the footprint of that stadium. What about Terre Haute, Indiana? What's it going to look like for Indiana State? Their fans should be thrilled with the opportunity that they have gotten to host a regional. Now make it look great on television. Make people that are watching go, man, I wish I was there for that. That looks awesome. And then I'm curious, the place that I'm going to be this weekend is Tuscaloosa. Alabama baseball fans don't have a reputation of being boisterous and and filling that place up. Alabama's been red hot. They had the scandal earlier in the year. They're a great story. Are they going to fill up Sewell Thomas Stadium this weekend? What's it going to look like? Is that outfield area going to resemble... Starkville, Oxford, Fayetteville, or is it just going to be some folks out there with their coolers casually enjoying a little baseball over the course of the weekend? I, I, I'm anxious to see because you got some places this year that are not year in year out hosts that are not the mega stadiums. Yeah, and we're going to talk with Scott Barry coming up in just a couple of minutes. How, how do you feel about Southern Miss's draw? Auburn is the host as the number thirteen overall seed. Southern Miss, the two seed. Samford is the three seed. And Pennsylvania is the four seed. And I looked into Samford a little bit. Not that there was going to be much debate because it's not something that he's done very often, but just if it's possible to hold Tanner Hall until a game two matchup, uh, no. Uh, Samford has uh, an ace, a true ace. I think he's got three complete games on the season as well. So a a true ace, a great strikeout to walk ratio, nine and two on the season. Uh, batters hit 218 against him. Uh, yeah, 121 strikeouts to 35 walks. Uh, I mean, I'd still do it. You would still do it, even though they've got would. a true ace. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw this Sanford team play. Granted, it was a midweek game. I did one of their games earlier this year against Auburn, and I mean they can they can hit a little bit, but there's nobody in their lineup that just really scares you. And the bullpen was just pretty average. I, I look. I'm trying to win a regional. I'm not trying to win game one. I'm trying to win a regional. 
I'm going to ask Scott Berry about that. I'm, he probably has announced he's always done it this way, but we'll ask him about it when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Pearl River Resort Studios just getting started. Nothing brings people together and forms a lasting bond like sports. Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your favorite teams like no one else. On the Super Talk app, supertalk.fm, and on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. Welcome back on this Tuesday afternoon that for a lot of people feels like a Monday. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Monday is when we normally visit with Scott Ferry. He's kind enough to push things back a day and jump on the Farm Bureau guest line with us as he has all season long to talk about the weekend coming up and the weekend that was. The weekend coming up is a regional, an NCAA regional on the plains at Auburn, the weekend that was. Well, it was also in the state of Alabama, not far from Auburn and Montgomery, where Southern Miss won the conference tournament. Coach, congratulations. Sunbelt Conference Tournament champs in year one in the league. What an accomplishment for uh, for your ball club. Yeah, it really was, Richard. So proud of our guys. And You know, we finished one game back on the regular season uh, title, Coastal Carolina. You know, edged us out there. They just took care of business on the on the last weekend, and, and we uh, we took two out of three from uh, Lafayette. But, you know, they had won the head-to-head against us at their place earlier in the year with winning that series. But, you know, had an opportunity to, to in our first year in the Sunbelt Conference to have a, have a conference championship in the way of a tournament, and that's exactly what our guys did. Uh, you know, it didn't go without a, a tough defeat from Appalachian State there in the first game on Saturday, but – you know, our guys, i just so proud how we picked up where we left off from that Saturday against Lafayette to finish the regular season and move right into that tournament and play really, really well. What stood out for you in the, the championship game? Uh, you mentioned beating Louisiana two out of three in the final weekend of the regular season. You, you get them in the title game, uh, and, and you win that one six to two. What was What was the difference in your mind? Well, I just think that, you know, it, it has to start on the mound. Uh, Nico Mazza gave us a great start out the gate, three and a third innings in that championship game. Both teams were tired. That We both had to play two games the day before. Uh, certainly, Lafayette had two very emotional wins over Coastal Carolina, who, uh, you know, is, is a really good good club. And, and I think Lafayette is, too. But, you know, we, we suffered a defeat there in the first one and had to win the second one and, and a winner move on situation so both of us were tired coming into sunday so it was a matter of you know which which team was going to out outlast the other and uh, certainly our guys did that Mazda gave us a great start going three and a third but then justin storm you know he gave us that glimpse of what he did last year he married the same image against uh lsu in our regional here where he yeah. went five innings against them and got the win and of course in this championship game he went five and two-thirds striking out eight and walking two, I believe, only giving up three hits and no runs. So very dominant performance on him. You know, we didn't have to go to Tanner Hall. We did have Tanner uh, ready if we if we needed to be to close for just one inning and basically use it as his bullpen. But Storm, Storm wanted him to get his rest for this, this coming tournament that we're involved in at Auburn. Well, why don't uh, why don't we just transition there to the uh, weekend coming up? What a great uh, what a great run it was there in in Montgomery. 
and uh, you get to walk off the field with a trophy. That's not the trophy, though, that you want when it's all said and done. You want the one that they give out at the uh, the end of June. So your road to Omaha starts on the Plains. And you know what I'm going to ask you. Um, the, Tanner Hall, uh, you, you're a two-seed. The goal is to win the regional, not just to win the first game. You have traditionally used whoever your ace is in the first game of the regional. Will, will you adjust that thinking at all, or are you going to run Tanner Hall out for game one? You know, I don't know. We haven't really, honestly, haven't discussed it. We've been trying to compile scout reports and watching synergy uh, on all three of the clubs that we're facing. And in that in that tournament, we have obviously uh, Auburn as the host, Penn uh, out of the Ivy League uh, is in there as well, and Samford out of the uh, Southern Conference uh, will be the one who we take on. So. You know, all three, all four of us, obviously playing good baseball here at the end of the year. Otherwise, you don't you don't get in it. Three of the four were conference tournament automatic bid winners, uh, with Auburn being the only at large of of the field that that we face this weekend. But you know, haven't really decided yet. I know that I know that Sanford is is good from what I understand. They have a big arm on Friday that uh, that really leads the way, kind of like our guy Tanner Hall does. So. You know, the last thing I want to do is get in a in a in a losers bracket right off the bat. In all honesty, but I hadn't yeah. made that decision yet. We we still have a little time before we declare who that starter will be. Scott, when when you've debated that in years past, how much of a debate in your mind or with your staff has that been? Have you really considered? Because I I think if unless I'm not remembering this correctly, most years you have gone with your ace in, in the first game. Have, have you really kind of dug in and debated, okay, what's best? Or, or is, has, generally speaking, your philosophy been, we throw our game one guy in game one, we go try and win game one, and then we figure it out from there? Well, here's your argument with it, Richard. Um, certainly, you're right. I've always gone with our number one, and the reason is is that I don't want to get in a loser's bracket right off the bat. I've seen right. some coaches that – have tried to save their guys and they throw off because they feel like, you know, their two guy can, can take care of business. And I've seen it backfire many, many a times. Not going to mention who that coach or coaches are, but over the course of my career, as I've watched <laughs> people and how they prepare and, and determine who they're going to pitch and, and their reasons. Uh, so I don't want to get in the loser's bracket. Also, you know, you're playing a, a team that is, uh, Seeding purposes wise is one below you. So we, we Sanford is a three seed. I don't want to send a message that, you know, to their team, like, Hey, they don't think we're very good. They're not going to throw their number one. Certainly that gives them motivation to come out and, and play better than what they would normally play. If, if so be. And then of course, you know, they have a stud. Uh, everybody's got a good picture, you know, that they're going to throw out there on the first day for the most part. And certainly the reports that we're seeing on Sanford. They do just have that. They have a really big arm that's uh, that's really good. So, you know, you uh, sometimes you you want a second guess. And easy, you know, the, the, in the perfect world, you go, yeah, we'd love to save Tanner, but you know, you're not guaranteed, obviously, any kind of win in sure. that first one. And and that's kind of what I side when I when I make those decisions. That's kind of what I base it on. I, I'm curious. I mean, obviously, you you want to host, right? I mean, you'd love to be at Pete Taylor Park. Do you put your head on on the pillow on on Sunday night after winning the conference tournament, and and maybe even your players as well, and go, we did everything we could do, and if they decided somebody else was more deserving of hosting, then so be it. We're just going to go play baseball. But but you can kind of feel good about the work that you put in to put yourself in a position, right? 
Well, I really do. I mean, uh, obviously very disappointed that, that we weren't hosting. But if the RPI is still what we're, we're basing everything on, and, of course, what Cohen stated, that is where we are in the state of college baseball and it needs change, uh, then certainly we were on the outside. I mean, we worked within that 20. Uh, you know, I can't feel sorry for myself without certainly really feeling sorry for Campbell University at a 14 RPI yeah. and didn't get to host. I mean, so that would, uh, you know, that, you know, that would really be uh, upsetting. But it is, you know, I, I feel like where the state of college baseball is as a whole, particularly at the Division One level, you know, there's, there's several programs out there that are investing in their facilities um, and, and making those commitments to the game. There's programs, there's more parity right now than there's ever been. And and it is, you know, it's kind of frustrating when one conference, you know, seals half the host sites, eight of them. And and I get it. I mean, the SEC is a very good conference, but you know, there's there's a lot of good good baseball schools out there as well. So, but you know, that's where that's the cards we've been dealt. That's what we'll deal with. You know, we'll go on the road and we'll prepare to win on the road. Last thing for you today, Scott, and uh, hopefully we're talking again next week as you're getting ready for a uh, for a super regional. Matthew Etzel, I remember after week one, I asked you specifically about him because he had a good week one, and and you you kind of raved about what you thought he was capable of. And now you look up at the end after after 58 games, and he's tied for the the team lead in batting average. He's put up good power numbers, you know, seven home runs. He's got the 15 doubles. Just a really good season all the way around for him. Well, he is. And, you know, every every level you move up, Richard, it's an adjustment that first year. Very, very few just dominate their first year. Uh, and, and there's a lot of them that, honestly, don't, they don't see the field much their first year. And I don't, you know, I, I don't care if you're talking about a traditional student coming out of high school or if it's a junior college transfer uh, that's moving up from JUCO to the D1 level. It's an adjustment. The speed of the game is faster. Uh, you have to have the ability to make adjustments and slow it down. So, but say, having said that, Etzel has been really good in that first year. Yeah, you know, I thought he was honestly. I, I and I remember saying this on several different occasions to to media outlets that I thought that he would break the single season double records uh, for us. And you know, and where fifteen is a good year, and seven obviously with home runs uh, with with that power numbers, it's good. But, you know, he's a complete player. He's been penciled in 58 out of 58 games in that leadoff spot for us. I just has a knack to make us go. He has the ability to steal bases and turn turn what would have to be an extra base hit to score him into just a single with a stolen base. So uh, excited about him. Can really move well in the outfield, right and left, covers a lot of ground, and just a workhorse as a, as a player, uh, you know, after practice and before practice. Scott, we don't want these conversations to end, and we don't want your time in the dugout to end. Go get it done on the planes this weekend. I'm with you, Richard. I appreciate you having me on, as always. Thank you. Always great to visit. Scott Berry, the head baseball coach at Southern Miss. They are headed to Auburn, Alabama as the two-seed in the Auburn Regional. We'll talk about the entire field and, uh, and the path for Southern Miss when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Scott joined us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. To the sports. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Sounds good. On Super Talk Mississippi.
Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks as always for being with us. You can be a part of the conversation on the Ceasefire text line 601 879 Is he there now? I, I think he's there. I was now. there halfway through the, the first segment and he just ignored me. I, I just saw you continue to like nod your head and bobble. I thought you'd like give me a wave or something and let me know. I I didn't want to have the awkward. Hey, I figured hey, Borky would be like, he he's no, back. He That's how he it normally did. works. He absolutely did not. No. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to at least appreciate the honesty of the candor, right? Silenced once again. Yes, yes, yes. How was your weekend? Really good. Really good. Yeah, had a great extra, weekend. Extra day off, little, little time yeah. around the grill over the course. Threw of the me weekend. off big time. Yeah, yeah. How did it throw you off? Uh, we're doing the podcast yesterday. I was just for the first like five minutes. I thought it was still Sunday, mm. and I was just like, I'm not used to being off on on this Monday. And, I, I just I just can't imagine a situation where you you say it's one day and it's actually another. You think it's one day and you just can't quite get it right in your who? head. I, what I kind of idiot would do that? Yeah. What a moron! Yeah. What a moron! Just, just, just some dork in a truck oh. driving down the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you His know. Wife handing out free nutritional advice. I don't know what's going on. Hey, that was that was, that was something today, wasn't that it? That's fine. We yeah. had our we had our our normal Eating a call. breakfast cookie. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, yeah. It's a, like a fancy healthy breakfast cookie. I think they just call it a cookie. I, I like, don't think it, there's anything like, cookie about it. It's a flat it. muffin's what it is. It's a flat yeah. muffin. I've had cookies. That ain't one. <laughs> That's that no cookie. That, that cookie. is not one. Uh, ah. there are a couple of things that are happening today. Uh this week, obviously baseball regionals coming up this weekend. You have uh, SEC spring meetings, and there is one big overarching topic that is happening that is going on. There's other stuff that they're talking about. But the two biggest topics that are being discussed this week at SEC Media Days are, but man, one of these is really going to get Borky going. Just just so you know, the 8-9 game schedule, 8 or 9 conference games, and... I really want to be wrong about this, but I think what you are going to end up with is 2024, next next season, having an eight-game conference schedule. And I think they're going to say they've just run out of time to get it right. With Texas and OU moving up a year, the time frame in which they were coming into the league, And because it has taken so long to get consensus one way or the other, you're just a year away from having to buy out a bunch of non-conference games. And for some teams, that may be prohibitively uh, expensive. Uh, I I don't think we stay at eight, but I think eight is going to be the number for next year. I don't know if we're going to get that information coming out of this year's spring meetings or not. Um. Like, like in terms of this is the long term plan, but it feels like a little bit of a kick the can down, uh, kick the can down the road decision. And the other piece of it is, they're still trying to negotiate with ESPN to get more money for a ninth game, and ESPN doesn't 
have to agree to pay more money for a ninth game. But the SEC also doesn't have to agree to play a ninth game. So you would think that maybe there's a, hey, we can do something that's good for both of us. We'll play nine games. That's good for you and TV inventory. You give us some more money. That's good for us and all of our schools, and on we go. That's one of the big topics. We'll get into that later. The other big topic is how are we going to handle this storming the field phenomenon? See, oh, see, at, Borky, at, did you see him? He's already. Oh, I mean, he's he, already. it was like an involuntary twitch. The the vein, I saw the vein pop at the top of his head. You know, his eyes are red. <sighs> he's legit by angry. The way, by because the way. it's so much fun. It's it so much fun, and it is so cool, and it's such an important part of college football when one of those major... Uh, you don't get major upsets in other sports the way you do college football and to a lesser but still a fun degree basketball. Mm -hmm. And all the other sports, baseball, good teams lose to bad teams all the time because that's the nature of the sport. The NFL is meant to be equal. The NBA is meant to be equal. Major League Baseball, despite the spending discrepancies, is supposed to be equal. Only in college football does Appalachian State beat Michigan. I know that happened in the big house, but still. Only in college football does that happen. There is a legitimate problem. The legitimate problem is fans have gotten worse in terms of of being emboldened in what they can do. So we've seen Mississippi State fans in... Uh, hey, Dad, did State fans rush the field after the win against Florida in like 94, 95, that, that time window? 92? 92. Was it 92 that I, I was thinking I think about? That's the last time. They, that, that's when they, I mean, you're thinking of maybe thinking of 2000. Okay. Whatever. There have been moments where Mississippi 2000 State they fans. Did, yes. Okay. So State fans have, have stormed yeah. the field. We've seen Ole Miss fans storm the field. It's one thing when you storm the field and you tear down the goalpost and you carry it out of the stadium. And everybody has a big, jolly time. And you have a couple of broken legs and somebody has a concussion and, okay, go on about your life. But fans have become emboldened to some degree that when Tennessee fans stormed the field last year in Knoxville, they stole Alabama's like video equipment on the sideline and smashed it. You had an Alabama player that was kind of going after a Tennessee fan after it. Like we're on the edge of something really bad happening, like really bad happening. And then you're like, well, what did you do to prevent it? What could you have done to prevent it? And who's liable here? And I think there are people that, because I think Borky, SEC and otherwise, college football officials agree with you. The imagery is spectacular. The beauty of a field storming is just super cool. But it's gotten to the point where there's some things that are happening that not a lot of people know about. They're just like, you just can't keep doing this. And you've at least got to figure out a way to get the visiting team off the field. And then the visiting team has to be willing to get their butts off the field. Like that's that's two part, right? Do we just do we just do away with post game handshakes? 
Like, hey, game in. Let's go to the locker room. We know you. you know, there's respect. If you want to, you want to catch up with your friends later. Figure out a way, but yeah, slide into their DMs and tell them congratulations. Well, in the tunnel yeah. or something. They're they're just. What frustrates me is not that part because the loser Tennessee fans that broke Alabama's video equipment should spend a couple nights in jail just because of the stupidity. You know. Sure. I'm sure the the dollar amount will give you a certain charge that can keep you there. That kind of stuff should happen. But to have the motivation go from, well, Alabama had some video equipment stripped to, let's consider taking bowl games away from these teams is a, is a huge leap that I find unnecessary. Yeah. Explore other ways first. Yeah. But, yeah, that kind of stuff can't happen. I don't understand. You know what it is? It's the Internet. Here's your old man take of the day. The Internet has emboldened people to do stupid things in real life. Yes. No, that's, that's not an old man take. That is a real-life take. That, that is accurate. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a you message see it all the time. board culture. It's a Twitter culture. It's a hide-behind-a-username culture. And people... But, well, but what we're talking about here is a very reasonable suggestion, I think, to say there's a, say, eight-minute, six, seven-minute window. If, you, if you're on the field during that time, we're going to find the university an ungodly amount of money. But after that, you know, and, we can and let take you, you to jail. Well, throw them in the drunk tank. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah and you're going to jail. <laughs> we're going to arrest as many of y'all as we can. But you guys I, I understand, watched. but I mean... Celebrate the stands for a few minutes. Celebrate the It would work if the university wanted it to work. They couldn't yeah. make it work. Yeah. You may be onto something. Somebody up there with a sniper rifle make it work. First guy on the field is going to get popped. God, remember oh. uh, from that MTV show uh, that's named after uh, a donkey where Johnny Knoxville uh, tested some riot gear? <laughs> <laughs> It took me a second. I was like, name after a dog. Yes. Yes, and I remember that particular prank with the, the personnel mine. Yes. Yeah, the, the bean bag that hit him in the stomach, and he couldn't stand yeah. up straight for weeks because it hurt yeah. so bad. Shoot people with those things. Exactly. So what you're saying is you would have proximity mines surrounding the <laughs> field that are set off. Poor, some poor cheerleader is going to take one in the eye. Hmm. Zach on the coast suggests that maybe we don't want teams meeting up in the tunnels anymore either. Yeah, Shout that out Michigan. So well in the That's big true. house last year. Uh, yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi coming right back with you. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say it. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, lunchtime yesterday, we got the uh, the entire field of 64 for the 2023 NCAA tournament. Host sites were announced on Sunday evening. By the way, Vanderbilt won the SEC tournament, beat Texas A&M. In case you had kind of checked out and didn't watch or didn't know, now you know. 
Wake Forest ends up. That was that was quieter than it had to be. Could be. Could could have been a lot worse. Uh, Wake Forest, number one overall seed. They've got uh, Maryland as their two seed. By the way, Maryland has won 11 straight weekend series. And since they got past Ole Miss, kind of struggled there. They've uh, they've been pretty good. Won the Big Ten regular season and the tournament title. Transitive property. Ole Miss should have gotten an automatic bid as the Big Ten champ. Uh, I think that's how that works. Maybe. What, 9-1 against the Big Ten this year? It's the uh, 14th place team in the SEC, mind you. Yes. Yes. Uh, Sorry, I lost my momentum. The Winston-Salem Regional is paired with the Tuscaloosa Regional. Alabama, Boston College, Troy, and Nichols. Florida, the number two overall, with UConn, Texas Tech, and Florida A&M. That one feels tough for them. UConn, really good. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech, usually good. Obviously not as good as they have been in recent history, but... Agreed. That is paired with the Columbia-South Carolina Regional. So you have the potential for an SEC-SEC Super Regional. South Carolina, Campbell... NC State, Central Connecticut State. Should be a good home environment in Columbia. Oh, yeah. Arkansas, the three seed. Man, this is a good regional. Arkansas, TCU, Arizona, Santa Clara. Pretty good stuff there. Arizona lost in the uh, championship game of the Pac-12 tournament to Oregon. And it is uh, paired with the Terry, uh, Terre Haute, Indiana Regional, Indiana State, Iowa, North Carolina, and Wright State. Arkansas is going to Omaha, aren't they? Yeah, they should. I, I yeah, we 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 thought before that perhaps they should, and they haven't. Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. It has happened. And that was a much better team. How about the Clemson-South Carolina Regional? Clemson, Tennessee, Charlotte, and Lipscomb. Clemson and Tennessee could be fun. Yeah, it could. And that is paired with the Auburn-Alabama Regional. Auburn, Southern Miss, Samford, and Penn. Pennsylvania. The Quakers. So let's press, let's press pause for a second right there. Yeah. Good draw, bad draw, or somewhere in between for Southern Miss number one. And number two, how is Auburn multiple spots ahead of Alabama, considering when you compare their metrics and also when they've played against each other? Uh, help me out. I, I mean, I thought Alabama was underseeded, right? I mean, they, they, they get 16 wins. They beat Auburn head-to-head in the SEC tournament, right? Didn't Alabama win that game in the tournament? What is Alabama? Three and one against Auburn? It would be three and one against Auburn this year. Auburn finished one game better than them in SEC play at 17 and 13 versus 16 and 14, but Alabama went deeper in the tournament for whatever that's worth. Alabama has a uh, an RPI of 11 and a strength of schedule of 14. 
Auburn's strength of schedule was nine, their RPI 19. I don't know. Maybe when you add those two numbers together, it adds up to something? Maybe? It wouldn't be because the athletic director of Auburn is on the select. No way. Well, hold on now. If you're gonna get me to, if you want me to be the guy that says something bad about John Cohen on the on the selection committee, you got the wrong guy. (laughs) I mean, and I'm sure I think he's done a phenomenal job in consecutive years. I'm sure there there was a recusal there, but uh, you know, it just Ah. kind of when you look at those two and think, you know, one really shouldn't be ahead of the other, and then the person that answers the questions afterward has Auburn on his chat. I don't know. Anyway. I will say this. When you are placed on a committee like that, your job is to represent the conference that that, that you're a part of, right? I mean, you can't go in and like just champion your school, but when you're an AD in the SEC and you're on a committee like that, you better be pulling for the entire league. When you look at the work that John Cohen has done over the last two years, I think the SEC should permanently want him on that committee. Eight hosts, that's a record. Ten teams in the tournament, that ties a record. Eh, just saying. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be back with you right after this. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. How do you like that? I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Afternoon, 4 o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. Coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. Learn more online at pearlriverresort.com. You can join the conversation on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from ceasefire business. For more information, log on to cspire.com slash business. A question on the ceasefire text line, Auburn's record against Samford and Jacksonville State. I think that was who he asked about. Let's see, they beat Jacksonville State 6-3 on the 8th of March. They beat Samford 13-3. On the 18th of April, they lost by one to Troy, 8-7. Troy is in the Tuscaloosa Regional. That was uh, at home on April 25th. They had a game canceled against Samford that was supposed to be played at the Hoover Med in Hoover on May 9th. Then they had a game against Jacksonville State canceled on May 16th. We had a lot of those late-season non-conference games get canceled uh, around the SEC. So, uh, that's what they did about uh, against some of the in-state teams about Auburn. Of course, Auburn has Southern Miss coming to the Auburn Regional. Borky, you asked the question, 
as we were headed to the break a few minutes ago. Yeah, I got a pull out there as well on Twitter. The draw for Southern Miss is great, not bad, not good, and terrible are the three options. Hey, Dad, what say you? I'm going to go right in the middle there. Uh, Southern probably would have liked to have had a little bit weaker three seed so that that, that Tanner Hall conversation could be a, a little stronger. But Auburn is a team that, that's beatable. And they've played really, really well down the stretch, but so is Southern Miss. So kind, kind of in the middle for me. Uh, I, if they were, I don't know who that weaker three C would have been off the top of my head, but they probably Sanford is a team that they can give a lot of good teams trouble. I agree traditionally, but this is not Casey Dunn Sanford from a few years ago when he made yeah. the transition to Auburn. It was a complete rebuild. Now I, I do think that their their head coach, who was on Casey Dunn's staff for a really long time, is is doing a good job. Tony David. He waited his turn to be the head coach at Sanford, but this is not a vintage Sanford team from 2011, 2012. Those teams that really could just mash it all over the place. But you better not take them for granted either. They were they were really good in their league. They win the conference tournament to get the uh, the automatic bid out of the Southern Conference. So we'll uh, we'll see. I would go with not bad. I mean, you got to be in a really weak regional field to go, man, that draw is great. Because that implies all you do is just kind of show up and move on. I think it'd be a whole lot worse. Southern Miss can absolutely beat Sanford in the 2-3 game. And then Auburn is, is good. Auburn's good. They're not invincible. They've kind of figured it out in the postseason, though, haven't they? Under Bush Thompson. Auburn, it's like once they get to a regional, they just kind of find a way to win, kind of find a way to win in a super regional. In two of the last three years, they've gone to Omaha. So we'll uh, imagine that. So let's expand a little bit because you said earlier, and again, it was right up against a break. Samford does have a true ace. Again, three complete games. Numbers are really, really good. That three complete games really stands out to me for some reason. I mean, that, yeah, he's a true ace. You asked Scott Barry, he said, I haven't decided yet. But he also said that he hates the the idea of putting yourself in a loser's bracket. Mm-hmm. If you were him pulling the strings, what would you do? I would hold Tanner Hall to face Auburn on Saturday. That's what I'd do. It's risky. It's absolutely risky. But look, this probably isn't a fair way to say it. But if you don't beat the number three seed with your second best arm, you're probably not winning against the one seed regardless. You're probably not battling your way through the loser's bracket regardless. I mean, that's a loser's mentality. Because if you manage to win those first two, I mean, you know, the flip side is okay. You you beat Sanford with Tanner Hall. You you win a game against Auburn, whether it's a close game or a a, a hard game, whatever it is. Once you're two and zero, oh, you're in the driver's seat, and somebody else is 
you know, likely to run out of arms if they've got to go to a fifth game on Monday night. But if it's me, I'm going Tanner Hall's pitching on on Saturday night against Auburn. If it's me. So the guy you're talking about for Sanford is Jacob Cravey. Borky, some of those complete games are not nine-inning complete games. No, but still. He had a nine-inning complete game against Wofford. That was a big series for them. They won the Friday game and then lost the second two that weekend. You know this, because I think you've called one of their games before, but name that mascot. Wofford? Yeah. The Terriers. Terriers. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever done a Wofford game or not. They, I think they played at Ole Miss in the recent okay. past, I think. Um, he pitched against LSU on March 10th. Five innings, four hits, five runs, only two of them earned. So that's pretty good numbers against that LSU lineup. It's not bad at all. And I think that was the first game that kind of blew up on them late. Well, Sanford's a Sanford's a good baseball team. They're not a great baseball team. And if you're winning a regional, you should be able to beat Sanford with your number two, in my mind. Do you guys think I'm crazy on this? I, I don't think that logic is crazy at all. I, I mean, you're exactly right. If, if you can't beat Sanford with your number two, you're not beating Auburn with your number two. So... I mean, each game has a life of its own, and you never know what's going to happen, and you know, blah, blah, all of that and stuff. And it's not to say that that Southern Miss can't beat Auburn with their number two either. No, but no. Tanner Hall's obviously the best. But I feel real good about running Tanner Hall out. Feel real good about him on the mound against anybody. Baton Rouge Regional. This one's got it's kind of fascinating, right? LSU. Oregon State, Sam Houston State, Tulane. Tulane, the first team in the history of NCAA baseball to make a regional with 40 losses. They got red hot in the American Conference Tournament and won the thing. Uh, Kentucky, West Virginia, Indiana, Ball State. Those two regionals are paired up. That's LSU the 5, Kentucky the 12. Nashville, you got Vanderbilt. Oregon, Xavier, and Eastern Illinois. Bandy playing some pretty good baseball right now. That's paired up with Oklahoma State's regional and Stillwater, Oklahoma State, Dallas Baptist, Washington, and Oral Roberts. And the Charlottesville regional is pretty darn good. Virginia as the number seven seed, East Carolina, Oklahoma, and Army. Yeah, it is. Last year's runner-up. And then a team that, to the end, was fighting to be a host in your region. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's paired with uh, the Conway Regional. Coastal Carolina, Duke, UNC, Wilmington, and Ryder. Mm. Uh, and then Stanford's the eighth seed. Stanford, Texas A&M, Cal State, Fullerton, San Jose State. It's paired with Miami. Miami, Texas, Louisiana, and Maine. Give me one non-host that you expect to win their regional. Texas A&M. That's a good choice. Duke. 
That's two. We still thinking Miami's soft? I don't know. Uh, ooh, is there another one? Is there another one? Uh, sorry, just scrolling back through. Uh, Tennessee to win the Clemson Regional. Clemson, by the way, has won 16 in a row. That's the second longest winning streak in all of college baseball right now. I think Southern Miss absolutely can win the Auburn Regional. I don't know if I expect them to. Can do it, want them to do it, all those things. Uh, South Carolina going to win their regional at home? I don't know. I think it can be a fun tournament. All right. 100 teams in 100 days. we got to do a little catching up, and we will start that when we get back with you in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Let's go. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Don't hurt yourself. Sports Talk Mississippi. On Super Talk Mississippi. All right, so last Thursday was 100 days until the opening Saturday of the college football season. We started the countdown with Mississippi State on Friday. It was Ohio State. Now we got to catch up from a long weekend as we continue our countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. This day is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. This day is bananas. 100 teams in 100 days. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. A random order this year. We're using the S&P Plus, which is a combination of returning production, recent recruiting, and recent history to uh, to determine the rankings. We go to the Sunbelt Conference, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina. Bad fight song. Yeah, and the next one's the best fight song. Yep, 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 it's real good. Uh, Coastal Carolina hired NC State Offensive Coordinator Tim Beck to replace Jamie Chadwell. Felt like there were opportunities for Jamie Chadwell to leave. He stayed put. And then when Hugh Freeze left Liberty, it opened up the Liberty job, and they convinced Jamie Chadwell to come be the head coach at Liberty. And so that left an opening at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, really successful under Jamie Chadwell. Innovative offense, just a ball coach, uh, represented that school well, had kind of a no-nonsense demeanor about him, all shucks guy, all all the stuff. And now he's going to Liberty, and so Tim Beck is the head coach. Signed a five-year contract that pays him a million dollars a year. Had been at NC State since January of 2020. He... Um, in 2019, the year before Tim Beck got there, they went 4-8. and eight. And so Dave Doran made the change. Tim Beck helped develop Devin Leary into exactly what Kentucky was looking for in its starting quarterback. Yeah. So Devin Leary kind of grew at NC State, got hurt last year, and they had to bring in a couple of other guys. 
And, and so it was the combination of Jack Chambers and M.J. Morris and then ultimately Ben Finley starting games. The NC State ended up having a pretty good offense a year ago. So Beck went to NC State after stints as an offensive coordinator at Texas and an assistant at Ohio State, Nebraska, and Kansas. He's got a good college football pedigree. But who's going to be his quarterback? On December 12th of last year, May, uh, Grayson McCall announced that he was entering the transfer portal. And for Tim Beck, you're like, oh, that stinks. This guy had one year of eligibility left, and he's going to hit the road, Jack. Well, on January 1st of this year, Grayson McCall pulled his name out of the transfer portal and pledged his allegiance to the Chanticleers and Tim Beck. It depends on uh, what you want to believe, by the way, on why that happened. Uh, there, there were some rumors of he ain't getting in anywhere else. <laughs> and so he's got to stay. Seems to be going around. The quarterbacks to be going having these around. issues with the grades. Um, yeah. But either way, he was somebody that uh, one of the many, 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 I stress, many quarterbacks that Auburn wanted that they did not get. <laughs> How about Grayson McCall's record? 29-4 and four as a starter. In 2020, Coastal Carolina, by the way, played 11 games in 2020. Good for them. He threw for just shy of 2,500 yards. And he had 26 touchdown passes, and he had seven rushing touchdowns. In 2021, he threw for uh, almost 2,900 with 27 touchdowns. Last season, he threw for 2,700 yards and 24 touchdowns. In his career, 8,086 yards through the air, 78 passing touchdowns with only eight interceptions, and he's got over 1,000 yards rushing with 17 touchdowns on the ground. One of the most entertaining, non-household-name like players in college football. I mean, just accurate and, and fun. He's got a little swagger. He, he is so much fun to watch, man. Uh, it really is. I'm curious to see what he looks like in a more traditional offense. Because what Chadwell and Willie Korn, and the only reason why I know that the offense coordinator was Willie Korn was because I played against the high school that he went to. Okay. Um, a very unique offense. And that's not what NC State did. And so will he still produce at this level with the adjustment of a more traditional offense? It's, although Southern Miss won't play them this year, something that a Sunbelt fan would be really curious about, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I hate that Southern Miss doesn't play them this year. I do, too. Because Southern Miss had to go to the teal turf last year, and so you'd, you'd love to get Coastal Carolina in the rock. So in the Sun Belt Conference, uh, by the way, how do we feel about the, uh, the teal turf? Mm. It's fine. Grass is green, man. I, I don't like colored turf. If I'm you're okay faking with, grass, make it green. I'm okay with the blue at Boise, but that was their thing. Yeah. Stop 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 trying to be something you're not. What was it? Eastern Washington that's got the, the red turf and the you red. got the Eastern the teal Michigan turf. has the gray. Yeah, that's it that's the gray's the grossest of all. Yeah, because it just like dead grass. Yeah. It looks yeah. like there's something wrong with your TV. Yeah. Which I guess in yeah. fairness, if 
they just let the grass die in October or you know early November. It kind of would look brown or gray at that point anyway. So maybe it's maybe it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, opening game this year for Coastal Carolina. How about a trip to the Rose Bowl and UCLA? So it feels like UCLA's finally turned the corner a little bit, but they also kind of gotten off to slow starts in recent years. Any uh, any shot that a quarterback going into his fourth year as a starter and his fifth year overall plays kind of a gritty style of football, first-year head coach, could roll in and at the very least scare the Bruins, if not pull the outright upset? Always a possibility. The tens of fans there would be so disappointed. <laughs> Surely it'll be better than that. I, you would think so. I, 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 I mean, could you imagine? I mean, you guys went to college. Most of our audience listening did. When you were a college student, to go to a home game, would you have gotten on a bus to ride for over an hour to go from campus or around campus where you live to the football game? No, I would have driven. Those are for your home games. That's what they have to do for home games. They shuttle students over an hour for home games. Yeah, it's not ideal. No. Not not ideal. All right, hey, Dad, are you in the famous alum's wheelhouse? I am. What have we? Uh, the top two are really the only ones we're going to Michael Kelly, an actor. You might remember him as Doug Stamper from House of Cards. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. And then Frank I, his Wikipedia doesn't uh, say guy. this. Yeah. His Wikipedia doesn't say this, but they list number one is Patrick Swayze. So if that is indeed a Coastal Carolina alum, that's a, that's a good one to have. Well, and then there's the... Um, there's the other thing. The, the the largest benefactor of athletics at, um, at at Coastal Carolina... Wait, don't skip Madeline Klein. I, okay. I, she's not on this list. She went to she didn't graduate, but she went to Coastal. Uh, and she's on Outer Banks, the, the main... The, the female lead of the show Outer Banks, which I watched... Like the second it came. Well, this out, one, so this I'm one, this other website lists Dustin Johnson as a as a he did Carolina. he did go there. That that is all right. Well, then he's on. He's definitely on the list. There's Bob Brooks, who is from Loris, South Carolina. His degree came from Clemson, but he thought highly of Coastal Carolina. If Bob Brooks' name rings a bell. It's because uh, he founded Hooters, Hooters of America, in 1984 after purchasing the expansion and franchise rights for Hooters Restaurant. He also created Hooters Air Charter Airline, the National Golf Association Hooters Tour, and the Hooters Pro Cup Series, which was a $4 million a year operation that included 30 short track races in uh, towns throughout the Southeast and the Midwest. In 2003, when they officially opened Brooks Stadium at Coastal Carolina, it was named for him in honor of the Brooks children, Kobe Kobe Garrett and Bonnie Bell. It was a $2 million gift, the largest ever to the university. Uh, let me tell you something. Hooters Restaurants and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 
are, I mean, they fit like a glove. What do they call it? A symbiotic relationship? Uh, like uh, anemones and clownfish? <laughs> Hooters like and Myrtle Beach. And a yang? Uh, Hooters and Myrtle Beach. Yes. Yes. All so, right. There you go. Robert Brooks, biggest donor through the years at Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, team number 98. What the heck are you doing? Sports Talk Mississippi, on your radio and in the game. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and Supertalk TV. Thank you for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. What do you say we keep talking a little college football and keep the countdown going and move to what Michael Borky says is the best fight song? Oh, it's a great one. to servicemen sing about their branch of the military. You're not American, buddy. It's great. It's like the last home game at Mississippi State right this second. The Air Force Academy. They are team number 97 on our countdown. By the way, 77 in the S&P Plus rankings. Troy Calhoun. The base official reciprocal kickoff event Y-axis. That's the algorithm that we're using to get these teams, otherwise known as the Borky, <laughs> has put them at number 97. Mm. No, I, I can't blame Borky on this one. Well, that's, that's the name of the algorithm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the base official reciprocal kickoff event Y-axis. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm with you. Troy Calhoun is rolling into his 16th season as the head coach at the Air Force Academy. Is that a great job? Uh, It's a good job. A great job would be a job where you can make a ton of money and have a chance to win national championships. Georgia is a great job. Air Force is a good job. It's probably a very rewarding job. Uh, the, the service academies, getting to coach those guys is probably really awesome. Okay, so you say where you can win a national title and make a ton of money. What if you could live in Colorado Springs, Colorado, making $825,000 a year and coaching that caliber of a per, of, of person on a year-in, year-out basis? And then Does that make it a great job? I think it's a good job. I don't think it's. I mean, if you're a college football coach, I think you would. I mean, maybe some guys are wired different, but I would think almost everybody would like to put themselves in situations to be able to win national titles. And then lately, he's winning. 
That that is a fu- another. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say this a good bit, I think, because I I just lo- I love watching all college football. You guys ha- work the games. I don't by design because I can put four screens up and watch a ton of freaking college football. It's the best. Air Force is a fun team to watch. It's the triple option, but out of the gun, and it's, it's a shotgun based triple option. And it's, it's, fun, it is it's fun really to watch fun it. to watch and explosive, and and it's executed so well. And like all the service academies, Air Force, Army, and Navy are all near the bottom in penalties per game. I mean, it's just it's well executed. It's smart, fun football. If you got nothing going on on a Saturday and you're waiting a couple hours to see your team play, and Air Force is on CBS Sports Network. Watch it for a few minutes. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy the product that you see. Air Force's non-conference games this year, they play Robert Morris to open the season. Okay. I would assume that the Air Force Academy is going to win that game. Sam Houston stayed in Week 2. I mean, if you're just kind of a college football junkie, that might be a really entertaining game. That's two pretty contrasting styles. Sam Houston's been really successful at a level that's one lower than Air Force plays. They go to Navy, so they'll play Navy at uh, Marine Corps. Oh, what's the name of the stadium in Annapolis? Uh, hey, you, you forgot something, by the way. Uh, Sam Houston State will be in the Conference USA this year. Oh, that's right. They moved up. That's right. Them in Jacksonville State. Forgot about that. Great call. Great call. At Navy. And then they're going to play Army in Denver. I think that's really cool. I think that's going to be at Empower Field, Mile High, whatever you want to call it. And then they go to Hawaii the next week. I mean, what, what a run for for the Air Force Academy. They're going to play a home game in Denver against Army that I would think would be pretty well attended. And they're going to jump on a plane and go to go to Hawaii the, the week after that. Hard travel trip. And uh, then they're going to uh, come back home for UNLV and Boise State to close it out. You, you start talking about famous alums for the Air Force Academy. <laughs> hey, Dad, the list is... It's pretty long and distinguished, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, especially when you I mean, so many, you know, high-ranking military officers and astronauts and things of that nature. But, again, using this website I'm using, it's edurank.org. The yeah. top two are interesting. Number two is uh, Sully Sullenberger is a uh, an Air Force alum, famous okay. for the uh, for saving that, that flight on the Hudson River. And number one, yes, I did. did not know this. Did not know this. Greg Popovich is an Air Force Academy alum. Studied intelligence. A lot starting to make sense about Greg Popovich now. Smart guy. All right, so connect the dots for me. Popovich and Mike Krzyzewski are close friends. And worked together. After Popovich finished at the Air Force Academy, did he coach at Army? Did he coach basketball at Army? Uh, let's see here. Is that where that relationship might have no. begun? No. Um, he did his five years in the Air Force after uh, after college. Mm-hmm. Toured Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union with the U.S. Armed Forces basketball team. 
He was selected captain of the Air Force, uh, of the Armed Forces team, and had an invitation to the '72 Olympic team, which would, of course, been the Olympic team that you know was famously screwed out of the gold medal. If any Soviet uh, propaganda people are listening, you screwed us, and we all know it. Um. So, but no, no connection like to the, the army there. That's the first pro-America so, thing I've ever heard come out of Hey Dad's uh, mouth. All right, yes, USA. I knew USA. deep down in there there USA. was some American flag underwear. I love it. <sighs> Moving on. Uh, anyway, so I mean, aside from their time with with actual with USA basketball, I don't, you know, I don't know that they have uh, okay anything else going there. All right. Good stuff. You would have never guessed from Popovich's uh, college coaching career that he was going to be become one of the best NBA coaches of all time. He was seventy six and one twenty nine at Pomona Pitzer uh, in the Southern California Intercollegiate Athletic Conference D three. Who could forget? I'm I'm going to throw a trivia question at you without fact checking it and hope that I'm right. I think after a quick glance, I am correct. Who is the Air Force Academy's most common bowl opponent all time? They've played in 29 bowl games in their history. Care to guess their most common bowl opponent? Is it Ole Miss? It is Ole Miss. Three times. I can think of three off the top of my head. Yeah. They um, they beat Ole Miss nine to three with Ken Hatfield as their coach in the nineteen eighty three Independence Bowl, and then they would have a string of three straight years nineteen ninety, actually four straight years eighty nine ninety ninety one and ninety two. Three of those years, they would play opponents from the state of Mississippi. In 1989, Ole Miss beat them 42-29 in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. In 1990, they beat the Ohio State University 23-11. In 1991, they beat Mississippi State 31-15. And in the single coldest football game I have ever attended in person in 1992, Ole Miss beat them 13-0. Three times. Against Ole Miss in the uh, the Liberty Bowl, I, uh, twice in the Liberty Bowl, once in the Independence Bowl. So that is the uh, the Air Force Academy. Open it up with uh, with Bob Morris to start the season and Troy Calhoun. Is it surprising at all to you that somebody else hasn't picked him up along the way? I feel like some teams have looked at him, but they just haven't made the decision. I, I, I think a lot of teams are leery about him and Jeff Monken because teams don't want to run the option. They don't want to, they don't, that, that's not what they see college football as at, at the big time level. I think it'd be effective and would work, but that's, that's a tough thing to swallow for some administrators. And I agree with you. They need to get over it. I mean, it, you know, apples to oranges, but, uh, Furman's head coach was the OC at Air Force before he took the job. And they ended the season ranked number 10. I mean, it's working there. And that's a regular school with non-service academy players. So, somebody needs to give it a shot. It will work. What's more likely for a non-option team to take a service academy coach or for a service academy to go away from the option? 
good question. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's doing that this year. Mississippi. Wait, what I'm hearing. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. of Eli Drinkwitz on a Tuesday afternoon. Michael Borky, tell me more about Eli and his pearls of wisdom, or Eliah, if you prefer, and his pearls of wisdom. So it's a a quote that was, uh, he's claiming was taken out of context. He was asked about the dangers of gambling, and he went into a long thing about how his brother is a pediatrician, and there are college football players making more than him. How does that tie into gambling? I don't know. He just kind of threw it in there. Yeah, they're, they're sharing the, the, the long quote now as if it's better. Yeah, I can read the entire thing to you if you want. I'll just get to the money quote here. Here's the question. When you see issues with gambling arising, what's your approach with your team about the issue? He said, y'all are really trying to get me in trouble here. Deion Sanders had a really good quote the other day talking about young men are joining a business, but we want to treat them like kids. We're giving guys, 18, 19, 22-year-olds, life-changing money. People are making more money in NIL than my brother-in-law, who's a pediatrician, who saves lives. There's information out there. There's bad actors always trying to make a dollar. He continues. Why is that getting him in trouble? Like, I mean, every coach in America has been asked about NIL. Why are we getting him in trouble when we oh, ask him? Because he has a dissenting opinion of NIL? Well, he clarified on Twitter that he wants the players to make money. But here's the thing, man. This is where these guys lose me. When a head coach who has a losing record in his three years at Missouri, by the way, gets a $2 million raise to now making $6 million a year. Again, losing record. He has a losing record. He's making $6 million a year. Says anything negative about another adult man trying to make more. Because, yeah, they're, quote, college kids. They're legal adults. But They are. But, but, but hold on a second. He coaches ball for a living and makes more than his pediatrician brother? Is that Ten times more, probably, if I had to guess. At least. Yeah, depending on the state. Maybe 20 more. I don't think a pediatrician's making 600 k There might be some, but no. Maybe. Not most of them, though. <laughs> Not the only one I know, because I asked him about it, yeah. and he laughed. So. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Hey, come join the premier... Co- oh, I love Eli Drinkowitz. Do you think he'll ever be good at his job? Thinking out loud there. Hey, taken out of context. I mean, possibly. Possibly. Come join the premier collegiate wood bat league in the south as the Cotton States Baseball League is hosting its 15th season with games at BNA Bank Park. That's in June and July. We are really, really close to June. 
We are also really, really close to the deadline, the application deadline for high school and junior high players. That is June 2nd. Check out Cotton States League on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media outlets. Register at CottonStatesLeague.com. No later than June 2nd if you're a high school or junior high player. The collegiate deadline has already come and gone. The Cotton States Baseball League is affordably priced. It features outstanding facilities, great coaches, and an invaluable opportunity to compete and get reps during the summer for college players and up. Uh, I'm sorry, college players and up-and-coming junior high and high school players. There's a complete stats pack each night. All the results from the games are posted. All games at BNA Bank Park in New Albany, centrally located, easy to get to, great facility. Your chance to join is uh, it's coming to an end soon. June 2nd is the deadline. CottonStatesLeague.com. That's CottonStatesLeague.com. You, um, speaking of Missouri, they fired Steve Beezer. Did you, did, did you feel like that was Memphis firing Tommy West? You, you remember when they, they got rid of Tommy West and he had the famous out-the-door press conference where they want to fire me, that's fine. Move on, whatever, hire somebody else. But if they don't commit to this thing, then they're doing a disservice and they'll be in the exact same place five years from now, firing the next guy too. Isn't that kind of the same thing with Steve yeah. Beezer at, at Missouri? Same thing with with Scott Strickland at Georgia. And it'll be the same thing with whoever they hire at Alabama if they don't commit to this uh, I, I think that is unfair to compare the support for the Georgia program and the support for the Missouri program. The facilities aren't comparable. The recruiting base isn't comparable. Hey, frankly, or, the fans the recruiting base doesn't have anything to do with support. I mean, just where, that's just where the school is. The, 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 the school doesn't have that as a support thing. Yes. No, I agree with that. But I don't think that necessarily Georgia has to change anything about the way they are doing things. If they just hire the right guy and he gets the continues to get good players, you can turn that around quickly. But I don't think you can get the right guy without knowing the support's going to be there. For example, we talked about Dan McDonald the other day. Great choice. That's who Georgia should hire. Are they going to pay him what he's worth? No, probably not. Probably take over a million bucks, won't it? Easily. He's been making a million for, what, eight years at Louisville? College football fix. That's how we'll start the 5 o'clock hour when we come back. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! On Super Talk Mississippi. o'clock hour with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk brought to you in part by Genteel Apparel. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can buy Genteel from men's clothing stores across the state, including Harry Meyer in Meridian, Landry's on the Square in Oxford, SF Alderman in Gulfport, and Smith & Company in Greenwood. And of course, you can go to their website, genteelapparel.com. Enter your email address and receive 10% off of your first order. Just click on the Get 10% Off tab and pop it in. Father's Day is coming up. be a great way to uh, take care of Dad. If you are 
a, uh, a significant other or a child that's uh, got a dad, you're looking for something to uh, find for Father's Day, check out their Father's Day gift guide. They've got uh, they've got great golf shirts, great pullovers, accessories. You want to get your dad some good-looking swimming trunks, you can do that as well. You can do it all at GenteelApparel.com. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. You can be a part of the conversation on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Give your business the edge with ceasefire business, ceasefire.com slash business. Let's jump to the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You're rolling into the summer, rolling to a new Ford truck. F-Series, best-selling trucks in America for 46 straight years. Let's drive the F-150 today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Start your search at buyfordnow.com. Borky, um, Sports Illustrated, Ross Dellinger. New story about some of the debate and conversation behind closed doors at uh, SEC spring meetings. Yeah, so we talked about it a good bit at the end of last week. We even had Marcelo on. He's the guy that broke the story that there was momentum in favor of keeping it at eight, at least for now. Mm-hmm. And and now, for the reporting of Ross Dellinger, and you've got some inside yourself that we'll get to uh, it sounds like that's what's going to happen. More of a can kicking down the road. It's not a permanent vote uh, that if they decide this week to keep it at eight, that's not forever. That's just for now. But there, there's something important in Dellinger's story that I think we need to get out there because too many people during this discourse have said, well, if ESPN wants nine, they're going to get nine. They can't get nine if that's what they want. Based on the current contract. Now they can offer more money as an incentive, but ESPN slash Disney bought the rights to SEC football with the current number of conference games agreed to at eight. So ESPN and Disney cannot go to the SEC and say, we want nine. They, they can't do that. They have no grounds on that. The contract is written is for eight conference games. Mm-hmm. And so. The, the way that ESPN can get more is to pay more. And if they don't pay more, they may not get more. But the current contract says they're only paying for eight. And people need to realize that because, well, well ESPN's just going to make them go. That's not a factor here. They can't make them go. They can incentivize them, but they can't make them. Hey, Dad, you look like you got the giggles. Well, he, he he pulled the uh, Kevin from the office there, where he started, he did the like the, the the talk me talk less word. Why yeah. use more word? He's like, if they can't go, they don't go. I, mean, I don't know what he said. It's like I could just caught it in there for a second. I was like, why use more word when little word do trick? That's right. So this is this is complicated by the fact that ESPN is owned by Disney. And Disney is going through a $9 billion cost-cutting exercise. And some of that is tied to ESPN. Now, as is the case with a lot of major companies, and I think you just saw it play out with the uh, the Pat McAfee deal, when you start talking about cost-cutting, big companies get real strict on things like travel budgets, 
per diem, reimbursing a hundred dollar expense. You know, did you properly document that? And then they go out and they spend ten million dollars. And you're like, you know, there are other ways to cut costs. I mean, saving three hundred twenty-eight dollars versus saving three hundred twenty-eight million dollars. It's it it's you know. If you can save the $328 million, you don't really have to save the 328 Seems to work out that way. That's not usually the way that really big corporations look at, look at it. And maybe the SEC falls into that category. But ESPN has got NBA rights that are coming up. They've got... And those are going to increase. They are. Believe what you want about the ratings and stuff, those are going to increase pretty significantly. Because ratings are not what we know is there's value in live sports. Yeah. It's the only thing that there's value left in. Um, sports ratings are up across the board. Like in, in everything, sports ratings are up. Cable news ratings are down. Sitcoms rating, uh, ratings are down. Nightly news ratings are down. Reality show ratings are down. Sports are up across the board. And so there's value in that. So, yeah, it's going to cost a lot. And they got a couple of other properties that are coming up that they're going to have to spend big on as well. My prediction, and it's kind of an educated prediction, is that ultimately ESPN is going to pay the SEC more to go to a ninth conference game. But it's going to be 2025 or 2026 when that happens. So there were a couple of complicating factors on the SEC side of things. If you were with us at the beginning of the show, I missed these. Number one, time is not really on the league's side anymore. And it's not like, oh, you can't redo the schedule. I mean, you can redo the schedule. That That's not the issue. The issue is you've got 14 teams that if you go to nine conference games, 14 teams are going to have to buy out a game. Now, whether that's... Southern Cal or Southeast Missouri State, that's up for debate. And schools have got to decide which game they're going to buy out, which game they're going to get out of. Is that is that accurate, though? We say 14. Georgia and Georgia Tech don't have to buy each other out. Florida, Florida State, so that's no, there's no buyout there. But each team has to buy out one of their four scheduled still. You've you're, got to get rid of one. It, it, it's a buyout, yeah, but it doesn't have to be a Power 5 game. No, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the schools are going to have to decide which game they buy out, but everybody's going to have to get right. out of one game that is currently on their 2024 schedule if you go to a 2024 nine-game SEC schedule. And if you buy out your FCS team, I mean, you might as well just shut down FCS football because there's no coming back for them without those million-dollar paydays. They have to have them. Yeah, you're going well, to lose a I lot mean, of programs. Th- but they don't lose the money in the immediate term. Right, I mean, they're going to get the money well, that they, they would have gotten for playing the game and for that particular year, and then it gets more competitive to schedule. Well, they get the whole. Well, get, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the getting caboodle? I don't know what the buyout numbers are in the contracts. I, I, I don't. Well, I mean, but if those games go away, the programs will go away, even if it's not twenty twenty. Yeah, but they're not going to go away in their entirety. Some of them no. will go away. You'll what the what will end up happening is a merger of some kind with the FCS and Division Two. That that that's coming. There's going to so, be some kind of merger. So so that's part of it, and the other part of it is Texas and Oklahoma are coming a year earlier than was anticipated. 
Now, maybe they should have anticipated that ultimately they were going to get out of it. 2025 was the year. It's now 2024. Here's what I think is going to happen. Next year when we convene the spring meetings in Destin, and, and, and oh, by the way, there's division, right? Maybe even 50-50 on what the vote is right now in terms of schools that want eight games versus schools that want nine games. you got 14 teams right now. You're going to 16 teams next year. Texas and OU are going to want nine games. That's going to swing the vote. I mean, if you're split 50-50 right now and you got two coming in and you know how they're going to vote when they get there, that tells you you're going to eventually get to nine games. So, really what's fascinating to me is how much presidents listen to their football coaches because football coaches have no say-so in this. They've got opinions, but they don't have a vote. It's the presidents that are ultimately going to vote on this. Is Nick Saban going to be able to sway his president? Is Kirby Smart going to be able to sway Jerry Moorhead at Georgia? Is Lane Kiffin going to be able to, you know, is he going to be able to, that's what I, I <laughs> say it. You, 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 you like you held up because it was Keith Carter. Is he going to be able to sway Keith Carter? But That's what you're trying Keith to say. Carter. It's not Keith Carter. You're talking is about it Glenn Boyce then? Just say it though. Say it. Is Lane Kiffin going to sway Glenn Boyce? Is Zach Arnett going to sway Dr. Keenum? There it is. Well, it depends on what they want and what the coaches want, right? Does Arnett want an extra SEC game? I don't know. Good question. Somebody says, why is it set in stone that Texas and Oklahoma will want nine? Money. I, I, I kind of feel like Texas and Oklahoma have kind of been out there that they like the idea of nine. Maybe I made that up. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. That's your college football fix. We'll be right back. I listen to it at work. At work. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon, the 30th of May. Thanks for being with us. Alongside Michael Borkey and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios, Pearl River Resort. Lots happening this summer at Pearl River Resort. You can go to their webpage, click on the Events tab, and see the upcoming things that are coming your way. Some cool stuff on the way. Jeff Foxworthy. Uh, this Saturday, June 3rd, 8 o'clock, he's at Center Stage at the Silver Star Convention Center. Tickets are still available. You can buy them online at PearlRiverResort.com. And then on July 1st, uh, Gabriel Fluffy Iglesias is back on tour. July 1st, 8 o'clock at the Silver Star. Tickets uh, are on sale now and available again at PearlRiverResort.com. Told you that we had to do some uh, some catching up today. And so we are going to continue to catch up on 100 teams in 100 days. They're waving the wheat. Team number 96 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. The Oklahoma State Cowboys. 
So we made a commitment this year in talking about these teams not to just talk about schedules. We kind of got into a rut in the past of doing that. But in the case of Oklahoma State, we have to talk about their schedule this year because it is remarkably friendly. Four new teams into the Big 12 this year. And in the case of Oklahoma State, they will play all four of the new teams that are coming into the league. And that doesn't mean that those are are gimmies. It doesn't mean that they're all layups. But it is favorable. Oklahoma State plays... Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. They do not play Texas Tech. They do not play Baylor. They do not play TCU, and they do not play Texas. So those are the four teams that they missed. So here's Oklahoma State's schedule this year. Going into Bedlam, which, by the way, is not the final game of the regular season. It's happening on November 4th this season. Here's how they get to Bedlam. Central Arkansas, at Arizona State, South Alabama, at Iowa State, who missed a bowl game last year, Kansas State, Kansas, at West Virginia, Cincinnati. So what's their record going to be going into the game with Oklahoma? I mean, are they 8-1? Are they 9-0 and going into that game? You know, Arizona State on the road in Week 2 could be tricky. Road game in Ames, I guess, could be tricky. Road trip to West Virginia could be tricky. And they get them at home, but Kansas State is the defending Big 12 champion. That is correct. And Kansas has improved. That is correct. All right. Eight and one's very possible. I think okay. Kansas State will still get them. But yeah, they should be top ten team when they go to Bedlam. Which by the way, Oklahoma won't be a top ten team when that game comes around. You're not buying Brent Venables in Oklahoma this year? I don't think Brent Venables will ever see the inside of an SEC media days. Oh. Oh. Really? That's that's my hot take for the day. You think the native son is let go after this year? They can't come to the SEC if he has another six and six, seven, five year with him as the heck. They can't do that. It's Oklahoma. You gotta go get a real coach. Back to back road games following Bedlam at UCF and at Houston. And then they close it out at home with BYU. So really make a statement as they're the new power of the Big Twelve when when Oklahoma and Texas leave. Yeah. Oklahoma's going to be 5-0 and going into the uh, Red River, uh, can't say, uh, rivalry game. Yeah, not the shootout, the rivalry. They should be. So it looks like, and, and guys, you, you tell me if I've missed something here. Garrett Rangel, the freshman quarterback last year, ended up playing in four games, and he, he, what, he made his third start in their bowl game which was a loss to Wisconsin, I think. 
He had four touchdown passes and five interceptions. So Spencer Sanders was he was the starter for the majority of the year, had the injury issue a year ago. He played in ten games and threw for twenty six hundred yards and um had seventeen touchdowns, nine interceptions, does things with his feet as well. Mike Gundy has a history of, of having good quarterbacks. And and to me, that's maybe the biggest question going into this year. The other thing that Mike Gundy has done is he has crafted his offense to what works based on the personnel they've got. Right? I mean, we, we've had years where Oklahoma State has absolutely thrown it all over the yard. We've had years also where that's been more of a run-based offense. And then most recently, it's been a more balanced offense with Spencer Sanders playing because he could throw it and also was talented with his feet. And so they've used that to their advantage, and they've been a little more balanced in terms of running and throwing. I don't know exactly. I mean, Garrett Rangel is more of a pro-style quarterback than certainly than Spencer Sanders was. And so it's interesting to me to see where ultimately this offense goes under Mike Gundy. Is Mike Gundy underrated as a head football coach? Does he get the credit that he deserves? No, honestly. Well, it depends. Let me give you this. He's been the head coach at Oklahoma State since 2005, and they have won 68% of their games. 156 and 75, and he has had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons with double digit wins. Great coach. He would get a lot more credit if they had just beaten Iowa State in 2011. Simple as that. They would have played for a national title. It was the Friday night game. And yeah. And if they had won that game, he would have played for a national title. I don't know they would have beaten LSU, but he would. Have, I mean, the fact that he's never been to the playoff, never been to a national championship game, that 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 that's held against him. He's in that next tier of coaches of the guys who haven't done that. I'll always but he's in wonder, the top of he's in the very top of that group. Yeah, I'll always wonder what he could have done at a place with more resources. I mean, you know. Tennessee Team Boone Pickens gave him a ton, right? I mean, they've got facilities and all that, but but you can't make Oklahoma State not second fiddle to Oklahoma in a state that doesn't produce a whole lot of high school talent. You know, it, 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 you you can't change geography sometimes. I mean, I think I think Nebraska, for example, I think they're kind of in trouble. Because the landscape has changed so much, and and so many other jobs have been more attractive, and players aren't leaving states as much anymore. If Mike Gundy were to have taken the Tennessee job, what would he be doing right now? Is one of those college football scenario off-season questions that I will ponder forever. I think with just a little bit more, he could have been a, a playoff championship-winning coach. But he's restricted by what he's able to acquire talent-wise. He is. That's what they're missing. It's not coaching. It's not development. They just they, they can't get high-level players, enough high-level players to win championships there. They just can't do it. Yeah. And he's been the, this close. Does the transition, and, and hey, Dad, you kind of alluded this to, to this a second ago, 
does the transition that the Big 12 is going through with the departure of Texas and Oklahoma, still got TCU who played for a national title a year ago, you got Baylor who is solid with Dave Aranda as its head coach, Texas Tech seems to be on the upswing. Is this transition that the Big 12 is going through with the addition of Cincinnati and UCF and BYU and Houston, is that good for Oklahoma State? It would be better if they could win the conference with Oklahoma and Texas in it, as it is, I think. But winning the conference championship is going to put them in playoff situations. So Their path to the playoff has gotten easier, hasn't it? Yeah, for sure. Starting this year, I mean, again, in the regular season, they do not play Texas, they do not play TCU, they do not play Baylor, and they do not play Texas Tech. They replaced those four on their schedule with Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and UCF. Oklahoma State, team number 96 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. We'll be right back. What we do next? Keep it moving, buddy. You can be a part of Sports Talk Mississippi. Triple eight eight zero eight eight six three seven on Super Talk Mississippi. with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Tuesday afternoon. Good to be with you. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky in the Pearl River Resort Studio. All guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau guest line. Earlier today, Scott Berry joined us, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. If you missed that conversation, you can go back and get it on demand at supertalk.fm or you can uh, download the podcast of Sports Talk Mississippi. It is available for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you are in the market for a new Ford truck, specifically, or a Ford SUV, maybe the Expedition or the Explorer or the Edge, then I would encourage you to check out my friends at Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota. Obviously, if you're looking for a Toyota, you can go to Oxford Toyota. Uh, Belk Ford has been a family business since the 1960s, in fact, it goes farther than that. They, they've been a family automobile business since the 1940s. Since the 1960s, though, they've been a Ford dealership. And in being a family business, that carries over to how they treat you. They treat you like family when you come onto the lot. They've got a great inventory right now of F-150s. Drove through the lot just yesterday. A couple of Super Duties that are on the lot as well. Some really good-looking um, vehicles there. Uh, that are available for you right now, not to mention a great selection of used vehicles. They've got everything you could possibly be looking for on the uh, on the used lot. 
Stop by, tell them that we sent you from Sports Talk Mississippi, that Richard said stop by and visit with them, and uh, you're going to see what I'm talking about, about how they treat you. They're going to be good to you. They're going to help you figure out what it is that you need, what it is you want, what it is you can afford, and then they'll put you in the uh, the truck or the SUV that you are looking for. You can visit them online at belkford.net or stop by and uh, see them on Highway 6 West in Oxford. That's Belk Ford and Oxford Toyota a uh, hometown Ford dealership in Oxford that you don't have to be from Oxford to take advantage of. So, guys, Dennis Dodds with a report at CBS with a quote that says, Colorado is performing due diligence to determine whether to return to the conference it once called home. That conference, of course, being the Big 12. He says in the report that CU and the Big 12 have, quote, met face-to-face while involved in consistent talks over a period of several months, close quote. For his part, Rick George, the AD at Colorado, had no comment beyond what he said last week when he said, we are proud members of the Pac-12. In a perfect world, we'd love to be in the Pac-12, but we also have to do what is right for Colorado at the end of the day. Dennis Dodd reports that it is expected that Colorado would receive an equal media rights share beginning in 2025 of $31.7 million if they join the Big 12, and that might make the move to the Big 12 even more attractive. What do you make of this? Uh, Shouldn't let your football coach drive conference realignment decisions. Uh, although that would be the correct one, it just that shouldn't be the reason why you do it. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you think that's why they're doing it? No. But I mean, Colorado's going to be in the Big Twelve if they make this transition long after Deion yeah. Sanders is no longer the head football. And, and I've said something like this. Well, I can't for the life of me figure out why people in college sports lie so much. Why is everybody such a disingenuous hypocrite? Sidebar, like Hugh Freeze today talking about how they need to clamp down on tampering. Says the... Never mind. Um, I mean, why is everybody... Just say what you mean. Colorado wants out of the Pac-12 because the Pac-12's TV rights situation is a disaster. And there is waning interest on the West Coast in college football. And there's growing interest in Big 12 football. It's a no-brainer. It's stable. It's financially sound. They've got a TV deal. That's not a disaster. And I don't know if you knew this, the state of Texas really cares about college football, even though the folks in Austin are leaving the conference. Having that be the foundation of your league is a good place to be. So just, yeah, we, we want to go because the Pac-12 is failing miserably, and the people out here don't care. But they care in Texas. The care in Iowa, Kansas State people care for the most part. Adding UCF is good. They really care. People in, in Cincinnati Oklahoma. really care. The Oklahoma State, they really care. And it's stable. Just this song and dance that people in college sports do, dance just they dance around the truth, and it's so bizarre to me. Why is it so hard to just be honest? Yeah, hey, we're looking around because... We don't trust our current league to survive. Okay. Very odd. Yeah. But it does make sense. Makes a lot of sense. So, you guys heard Scott Berry say earlier today, and 
Southern Miss fans have echoed this to a degree that half of the hosting sites being from a single conference doesn't feel like what's best for college baseball. I'm paraphrasing what Scott said, and he did follow it up immediately with the SEC is a really good league, and they're deserving of those host spots, but there's good college baseball being played in a lot of places that is not the SEC. He pointed to the RPI as if we're going to be a slave to the RPI, and again, I'm paraphrasing, not using his direct words, then this is what you're going to get. Is this, yeah, it's, you, you completely understand Scott Berry's perspective. But if you go to the West Coast, if you're looking at it from the perspective of UC Irvine, who was left out of the tournament and was hurt by the RPI, they had a top 50 RPI. And they had, what, like an 8-1 and one record against the Pac-12? But some of the Pac-12 teams that they had beaten went into a tailspin and fell out of the top 50, and so their top 50 wins weren't there anymore. And yet they look and they see 10 teams from the SEC, which is a record, get into a conference, uh, get into a tournament that has a total of 64 teams in it. I guess what I'm asking is, what, what do you guys make of all of this? I mean... I think there's a pretty compelling argument for the eight SEC teams that are hosting. Right? I mean, who, who now, Southern Miss fans would go, well, hold on a second. Our RPI was better than Auburn's. That's correct. That, that, that is correct. The pushback, if you're on the Auburn side of things, was, yeah, but we won 17 SEC games. Plus, what, one or two more in the tournament? I mean, Southern Miss finishes with an RPI of 21. Auburn finishes with an RPI of 19. Campbell, who has to go on the road as a two-seed despite a 44-13 and record, finishes with an RPI of 13. You heard um, Kyle Peterson talking yesterday on the selection show about the fact that If the RPI is broken, then fix it and do it now. Don't go through another year of this, where the RPI is the metric that drives everything. We know that the SEC kind of feeds or or maybe builds on itself in terms of the RPI. A couple of things. One, SEC teams, generally speaking, schedule pretty well in non-conference. And then two... When you got a bunch of teams that have got good RPIs and they play each other for the final 10 weeks of the season, they're naturally going to stay where they are or climb. Nobody's going to have a precipitous fall. So what do you guys make of all of this? Are we going the, about it the right way? Should there be a cap on the number of teams that can host from a single conference? I hate that idea, by the way. I feel like you earn it. And if you earn it, then you earned it. But the deck is also stacked against some others. I can't get behind the idea of capping the number of bids from a certain conference. The best teams deserve to host. And if you're the one of the best teams, doesn't matter where you, that you're in the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten or whatever, you should host. Now, if you want to argue who the better teams are, I can have that argument with you. 
but I'm not going to argue, well, they, this conference doesn't get this many, even though they have eight of the best teams, nine of the best teams. Yeah, what's the argument for the cap? It's not fair? Sorry. I, I can't get on board with that. The, the best teams in a merit-based system deserve to be rewarded by being the best teams. Now, there are people that, we said earlier, that the, there's an argument that the RPI needs to be reworked. Okay, let the math nerds figure that out, because I have no idea what's wrong with it or why it needs to be reworked. And, and if, if somebody says there's a better way, okay, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But by the objective even, measures set forth, the best teams deserve to host. Even if you rework it, rework the RPI, you're still going to give points, if you will, for playing a good schedule. You're still going to give points for playing good teams. I guess you're going to weigh it a little heavier where a road win is more valuable than a home win. I guess I need to know what what we would change about the RPI. Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi. Will you ever get so excited that you just can't wait? Sports Talk Mississippi, covering your Mississippi teams. I've been waiting my whole life for this. Don't touch that dial! Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and supertalk TV. Thanks for being with us one last time. A couple of quick notes from the ceasefire text line. Chris in Oxford says, well, Richard, if RPI gets fixed, then the SEC teams are going to get punished. I mean, the only one that would have been punished is, is Auburn, right? Well, I mean... Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, LSU, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Alabama are all in the top 11. Yeah. And Auburn was at 19. Yeah. With a number 9 strength of schedule and 17 SEC wins. Yeah. And and that's, what, 12-3 and in their final 15 SEC games. They played really, really well in the second half of the season. I I don't know the answer to it. It, It's hard for me to think that there is a metric that they are going to use to measure the strength of teams across the country that is going to be really hurtful to the SEC. Because the teams are good. You guys, you guys, we we yeah, you can't. I mean, you can't change the math to make the SEC not the best baseball conference in America. You, you, You just you can't. If it's an objective measure. I was talking with a, a buddy yesterday, and we've talked about this before, that the SEC in baseball is more difficult than the SEC in football. I mean, you just had 10 teams make the postseason. Two of the four teams that didn't make the postseason fired their coach, and the other two won national championships in the last two years. That's life in the SEC in baseball. Um, 
And then we had uh, somebody that says, if they change the RPI, the formula, it's going to be like the 12-team playoff. They're going to look up in five years, and they're going to be eight SEC teams that are hosting. The bottom line is, outside of a couple of schools, the SEC has invested significantly in baseball. Yeah. Even the schools that don't still have. Yeah, they have said for a long time, this is important, and we're going to put our money where our mouth is. We're not just going to say it's important, we are going to invest in a way that shows we believe it is important. We're going to do that with facilities, and we're going to do that with coaching salaries, and we're going to do that with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and maybe the counter to that would be, well, you have the money to invest it. Yes, that is true. The Big Ten has the money to invest it, and they choose not to. The ACC has been on a level playing field, largely, for the last couple of decades, and they have not invested in the way that the SEC has invested in baseball. They just haven't. They haven't cared enough to do that. Everyone's like, oh, the ACC is going to be so much behind the, the SEC and the Big Ten. They're going to be, but presently they're not that far behind, and they haven't been that far behind for the last 10 to 20 years. So it's about deciding what your priorities are and then going for it. Hey, we need to do one more team before we get out of here today on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. It's team number 95 on the countdown And that is Eastern Michigan. The Eastern Michigan Eagles, who play in the Mid-American Conference. From 1899 to 1928, they were the Michigan State Normal College Normalites. Wow. They changed their nickname, and they became the Normal College Hurons. And then they became the Eastern Michigan Hurons, and then somewhere along the way they decided that Eagles was the way to go. That was in 1991. It took them that long. It took them ni- uh, until 1991 to decide that um, it was time to uh, change the name. Their last MAC conference title came in 1987. So it's been a while for Eastern Michigan. Always curious who they're going to play in uh, in their non-conference games. A road trip to Minnesota in week number two. That's the only one that stands out. They opened the season with Howard, an HBCU. Got a home game against UMass. And a uh, road game against Jacksonville State. So only really stepping up one time, they'll go to Minneapolis in, uh, in week two. Nine and four overall last year. Finished second. In the MAC West, five and three in the conference. So it was a good year for Eastern Michigan. A bowl season for the Eagles, formerly the Hurons, formerly the Normalites. Hey, Dad, most famous alum from Eastern Michigan? Jeff Daniels. It's a pretty good, good one. one. He does the pure yeah. Michigan commercials, doesn't he? Or at least did for a yeah, little while. So. There you go. Yeah. Eastern Michigan, team number 95 on the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. Tomorrow we will pick it up with an ACC team at number 94. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon in the Pearl River Resort Studios. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad, I'm Richard Cross. Good night. Oh, it's incredible! 
Are you a business owner looking for help with HR benefits and payroll? MWG Employer Services offers a wide range of services and can create a custom plan that fits your needs and budget. I was so overwhelmed with HR stuff. MWG Employer Services took all the stress out of it and even set up my payroll. I couldn't be happier. MWG Employer Services is here to help you succeed. Call us today at 601-206-7966 or go to mwgemployerservices.com. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.